and welcome to another edition of the Go Basketball Wall Street. What the fuck? Are you alive? I had to pass out. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> what uh, was that? Nothing. Carry on. My name is Charlie Wallace. Don't you have to do the whole thing? <laughs> oh, over again? No, I'm going to yeah. leave in everything that oh, happened already. Oh. <laughs> I, thought, I, want, I want you to just start the top podcast. This is, is just like, my name is Charlie Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Ed Bradley in this situation? Hello. Welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and we have with us two special guests, Paul Wilcox. <laughs> it's good to be here. And Doug uh, Gobeski. Ooh, I'm glad to be here, but oh man, I eat too much pizza. <laughs> well, it's good to establish ahead of time. If anyone was wondering about your ratings for the movie that we're gonna review today, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind, my rating for today is going to be severely influenced by the pizza poisoning that I'm undergoing. <laughs> I don't know if it counts as acute or chronic, since I do it practically every weekend. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a chronic problem, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> What's the LD fifty of pizza? <laughs> little Caesars. <laughs> I haven't had Little Caesars in quite some time. Oh, it's just none of them in a convenient enough location. Now they have the. You don't even have to go to the counter to get your hot and ready. Really? You can just is there a machine? Well, you can do a special order, and they have it in like a little warmer for you that you unlock with your code on the app. Oh. So what is this? Like minimize Amazon your... locker? <laughs> Basically, they should just put them out. Start putting them like on the corners, like mailboxes. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> that would be one of those stores where like they don't have staff there. You just go and buy stuff and. Supposedly that's coming, right? Where you just have stores, you go pick up stuff, and you go to the self checkout, and you don't have to see For anyone. Little Caesars? Well, I mean, just no stores in general, but why wouldn't Little Caesars extend that? Why would you has to make the pizza? <laughs> well, they don't have to go out front. Yeah. They don't well, go out front just, as yeah, it is. It's just a sealed back room. Generally, when I have Little Caesars, I don't want to interact with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> if I've already decided that's what I'm doing for the night, I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, go. I'm going to pick up a pizza true. that's already ready for me. I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to have to call someone in advance. I just want to go pay $5 and get a pizza. The problem with the street corner box is that it seems like you're at a hot or ready situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if they remove the human contact from it, don't you think that you're eventually going to feel even more shame? Like, I assume that's what your problem is, is the amount of shame you're feeling. <laughs> Does it count as shame if no one's around to witness it? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. New philosophical yeah. yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a guy with lots of lonesome shames. <laughs> the feeling is real. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you take away the the interaction from pizza, that's there's a lot of people who that's their only interaction, mm. you know. But yeah, <laughs> speaking of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm gonna leave that in where Paul just drags us all down <laughs> very briefly <laughs> with that very real truth. It's the only way some people date. <laughs> It still hasn't worked for me yet, though. <laughs> but yes, yeah, speaking of shame, we are on uh, installment 22 of the Mary Marvel Movie March. And it is uh, a movie sometimes called X3 because the way the poster looks, but apparently is officially just X-Men The Last Stand. But it's X-Men 3, folks. I don't think we get any other X-Men movie with numbers in the title, do we? I uh, don't think so. Maybe there's some leet speak versions. That have numbers in the title. <laughs> I mean, the closest you're going to find, I think, is Deadpool 2. It's true. I guess there's X-Men First Class. That's kind of a number. <laughs> first is not a number. <laughs> of course it's a number. It's just yeah. an ord- Count Count zero to ten. Zero, first, second, third, yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. What's the problem here? Was there ever an X-Men Second Class? <laughs> 
<laughs> they yeah, thought it would send the wrong message. It was called Apocalypse. <laughs> All right. So, so far we've established nothing. Yeah, we watched yeah. a movie. Yeah, but you said it was uh, it's the only Marvel movie in our March from 2006, which is very surprising because everything yeah, at this point is yeah. proven very profitable. So I don't know why they haven't well, built that infrastructure. Well, everything. I think like the last few movies, right? Or am I wrong? I mean, they made money, but I doubt that like the accountants were like super thrilled about like the box office from like Electra and Blade Trinity. <laughs> Fair enough. That's true. It's not enough to turn a profit. Yeah, our only 2006 movie. So a bit of an interesting uh, behind the scenes history for X-Men 3, possibly more interesting than the movie itself. Brian Singer, the director of the first two X-Men movies, was originally attached to this movie as well. And then in 2004, got tempted away by the thought of doing the new upcoming Superman movie, which ended up being Superman Returns, also a 2006 release. At the time he left, the uh, script was only like partially done. They hadn't like really firmed anything up. So that may be partly why the storyline for X-Men 3 seems much less character oriented than the first two did. So a bunch of uh, directors were approached. Uh, I know they approached Joss Whedon. Matthew Vaughn was actually attached for a while and then had to drop out due to some family issues. And so ultimately they got uh, Brett Ratner to direct this movie. Yes. Noted Hollywood scumbag, Brett Ratner. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I was (laughs) charged with actually doing a little bit of research on him ahead of time. And well, particularly given that some of the issues with Brett Ratner apparently occurred on the set of X-Men 3. Exactly. Yes. Did issues with Brett Ratner predate this movie, though? Like, did they know that he was a scumbag before they hired him? Um, In the same way that people knew that Harvey Weinstein was a scumbag, like, going back decades. Um, So as of 2017, there were uh, six women who very prominently came forward in an article and accused him of both sexual assault and sexual harassment. A lot of things that he's accused of doing are very similar to the things that Harvey Weinstein has been accused of doing. It was around the same time as well that all of these allegations came out, uh, including Natasha Henstridge and Olivia Munn. So people that don't have any particular reason to lie about this sort of thing. It just seems like a very consistent pattern of behavior with him. But that's all for the most part came out after the film. There is one particular incident that is related to the filming of this, which is that Ellen Page, who plays Kitty Pride, was um, he made some sort of comment during a cast party that inadvertently outed her. So that was something she was very uncomfortable with and later told everyone. Um, and yeah, he's just generally the sort of guy that it's not hard to believe these allegations against him. I don't know how that's gonna much that's gonna factor into our discussion of the movie. I don't really see a lot of those same themes coming up in the story or the direction, but you know, it's definitely something worth mentioning. Yeah. We appreciate you doing the Yeah, I'm the glad worst I didn't part have to of, of all. We kinda didn't really do this research before we talked about Brian Singer. So we thought yeah. we'd do our due diligence this time. Not a great guy. Him or Singer, apparently. Yeah, so Brett Ratner uh apparently basically said that he didn't really know anything about the X-Men. He just sort of got tapped as a, you know, hired hand to do it. And so he basically just said, well, just give me the script and I'll film it. Seemed to be the impression that I got. Like, it didn't seem like he had too much input into the story itself. He kind of let the screenwriters take care of that. So he's not the one that I should be blaming for much of this. Yeah. Assuming that my my issues are with stuff like plot and script. Yeah, yeah. So the written by credit is uh, Simon Kinberg, who also gets credit for the 2015 version of Fantastic Four and X-Men Apocalypse. So we have those two to look forward to as well. And the uh, upcoming Dark Phoenix, which may be an effort to do this movie properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but I'm sure, as we'll discuss later, does the guy have credits that are good movies? (laughs) Uh, Again, Um, I can't tell you about those future Marvel movies, but... He's a producer. I believe he worked on The Martian. Oh, yeah. The Martian was good. So, okay. Uh, X Men Days of Future Past. Really? Yeah. Okay. 
He's got a lot of producer credits. So yes. maybe he's a hit or miss guy rather than just wallowing in the gutter. He uh, wrote <laughs> the first Sherlock Holmes movie, which is actually was all right. I didn't mind that movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. I mean, yes, his credits aren't super <laughs> encouraging, right? Because it also has things like Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> and and this means war, Ooh. which was that uh, Chris Pine, Tom Hardy, I think, movie. Oh, like a romantic comedy or something. So the question is, had you seen the movie before? Me? No, I had not seen this. I think unless really? you count Logan. I think I haven't seen any of the other X-Men related films that are coming out. What about uh, Deadpool? Deadpool, I guess. Yeah. If you count Deadpool, which you do. Okay, fine. So I've seen both Deadpool movies and I've seen Logan, but I haven't seen anything called X-Men colon something. <laughs> X-Men colon. <laughs> no X-Men colon blow cereal for you. <laughs> nope. Get that tie in. <laughs> it's like, like eating 1,000 bowls of X-Men. <laughs> Doug? Uh, pretty sure I saw this movie in theaters with you. Yeah, probably. It would have been post-school. For you? Yeah, this would have been the last movie I saw before I met Brienne. Well, sorry, the last Marvel movie I saw, I mean, before I met Brienne. Wait, what does that mean? That I would have started dragging her to these movies? And... I wouldn't have been allowed to be there because you would have gone on dates to see them. Uh, maybe I'm not really making a point here. Just that <laughs> just noticing that this is the last Marvel movie before I started. Oh, dating okay. That's I, clearly I, all I'm noticing here. I thought you were trying <laughs> to make everything a point. <laughs> thought you were making some sort of point there. No, like, no, no. Cast dog out of my life. <laughs> I mean, I was making a point, but it wasn't a relevant point. So I believe I saw this movie in the theater. I don't know when else I would have seen it, but I, I'm sure I've seen it before, but just once. And I think that was the theater. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. There was like a receptionist at Mason Abbott, not a rece- like a secretary who worked in the housing office. Uh, and one day she just brought in a literal garbage bag of DVD movies that they were getting rid of for like $2 each. <laughs> and one of them was, was this movie. And I was like, oh, I don't own this movie for two bucks. Sure. So I bought X-Men The Last Stand for $2 and then watched it. And then that's the only other time I think I've seen it. Because Brian and I, when uh, Days of Future Past, the Blu-ray came out, we bought that. And then we were like, oh, since Days of Future Past, to jump ahead a bit, like ties into all the other X-Men movies, sort of. It was like, oh, we should watch the other X-Men movies to refresh our memories. So we watched X-Men and X2, and then this was the next one up, and we stalled out. (laughs) (laughs) Which also means that I've had a copy of X-Men Days of Future Past sitting on my shelf for now three years that I've never watched. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, four years. Wow. So, yeah, clearly a uh, fond memories of this movie. (laughs) So uh, X-Men 3 is the story of Dennis X-Man, who is the third in line for the throne of the (laughs) (laughs) X-Mansion. I like, I like, can we watch that movie? (laughs) It's a romantic comedy. I'm just picturing King Ralph. (laughs) By the way, every time Brianne listens to these podcasts subsequently, she always goes, why is it always Dennis, though? (laughs) (laughs) Thus deepening the need for Dennis. (laughs) 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 Further entrenching us in in the Dennis loop. Okay, (laughs) X-Men The Last Stand is has two pretty major plot points sort of fighting each other for attention. Which maybe I think honestly be part of the problem with this Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But uh, on the one hand, there is the continuation of the the death of Jean Grey that happened at the end of X2. And they want to bring in what's called the Dark Phoenix storyline, which is a fairly famous, in comic book terms, uh, X-Men story from the uh, early 80s. Where it turns out... Okay, see if I can sum this up briefly. Don't so, worry, I'll be here to correct you on anything. 
<laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll probably need it, so go for it. But everybody loves a good um actually. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I live for. <laughs> uh, in the comics, Jean Grey somehow absorbs the power of the Phoenix Force, which is this like cosmic entity, something like that. She returns to Earth and then is influenced by this. At this mutant villain called Mastermind, who gets her to join the Hellfire Club, which was this organization of evil mutants at the time, basically. And so she like is becomes, I think, the Black Queen of the the Hellfire Club, and starts like capturing the X Men. So Cyclops and Mastermind have like a mental duel or something, in which uh, Cyclops loses dies that shatters more or less um jean gray's psyche and so she becomes just dark phoenix who's just like this evil person she goes and she like devours like a sun or something yes in it which in a star system that actually has at least one inhabited planet yeah so she basically becomes this like super god level villain um destroying things out in the universe it's a cosmic story at this point yeah, genocidal. I don't actually know how, but somehow she comes back to like Earth, the solar system. She's now not just Dark Phoenix, like Jean Grey's kind of come back or something. And so she gets somewhat subdued enough for Professor X to put like mental barriers in her head or something, which is I think that comes up in this movie. So then I think at that point, the Shi'ar come along, tell the X-Men, oh, hey, uh, Dark Phoenix is a genocidal criminal. And uh you know, you got to kill her. And so they're going to die. They're going to do like the battle on the moon or something. And the plan of the Shi'ar, I think, is to destroy the entire solar system to contain the Phoenix. And Jean Grey stops this and rescues the X-Men from the moon, but dies in the attempt, which is sort of roughly how the X-Men 2 movie ends with her, like saving the plane at Alkali Lake. But instead, uh, Instead of Alkali Lake, it's the moon, and instead of the plane, it's like a space shuttle. And that she dies there in the end for like three years. So long way of saying that the uh, the dark that Phoenix Force is this cosmic entity that becomes a part of Jean Grey rather than like oh her untapped mental abilities or something like that. Like <laughs> that roughly right, Doug? Uh I mean it's been a few years, and honestly, I don't know that I've actually read the original Dark Phoenix saga. I've mostly just read like the knock on stuff from X Factor and like various flashbacks in Excalibur where Rachel Summers has the Phoenix Force. But I think you got the gist of it. I mean, the important thing is it's a primal cosmic entity sort of thing. It's it's not on it's not on the level of mere mortals. Yeah. And I think. This sort of gets to the point, and I think this is going to come up again in a couple movies when we get to the Fantastic Four sequel, of the difference of approaches between the way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe now does things versus how Marvel movies used to be. In that, I think it's pretty easy to envision the Marvel Cinematic Universe literally having Phoenix as this cosmic force that comes in and more or less doing Dark Phoenix, maybe over a couple movies, depending on how in-depth they wanted to get it right. Whereas in this, right, that's too outlandish for people. And so they instead have to have it be like her untapped telekinetic powers or something like that. So that's plot A of the <laughs> Last Stand. <laughs> now, before you get into plot B, because uh, I don't know that there's a better time to mention it, I would like to point out that another upsetting thing about X-Men The Last Stand is... The movie begins with like a flashback and then a slightly less old flashback and then a here's the the near future. And they do essentially a pitch perfect version of the Days of Future Past storyline, right? It's like spot on. And then it's like, oh, no, pulling the rug out from under you. That was just uh, a danger room scenario. Yeah, a holodeck simulation. Yeah. Like, in terms for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember in the theaters being super excited. You know, I didn't entirely know what I, what to expect from the movie. But I'm like, oh, man, they're doing the Days of Future Past story. Nope, just a tease. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so plot line B uh, has to do with the idea that they have developed a quote-unquote cure for mutant abilities. Uh, this is a, an adaptation of an astonishing X-Men storyline from about 2004, so actually very recent as far as this movie goes. And so basically the idea of like what would happen if like because they've spent all this time trying to go oh hey mutants are people too just people with powers you know but they're not a disease or anything what would happen if you suddenly said oh hey we could cure this we could make you not mutants anymore and it sounds like behind the scenes what was going on was that uh the screenwriter simon kinberg and i think zach penn who worked on the first two as well we're interested in doing the Dark Phoenix storyline, but Fox, the studio, was like, eh, this seems pretty dark. You know, we'd much rather that you do this gifted storyline that you mentioned to us. Sorry, gifted is the name of the uh, the cure storyline in Astonishing X-Men. We'd much rather that you use this cure storyline instead and just drop the Dark Phoenix. And they really didn't want to drop the Dark Phoenix. And so I think that's why this is sort of <laughs> uneasy tension between the two storylines. Mm-hmm. I thought for a second there was going to be a third storyline in there, too. Well, there is. is We're going to save the school storyline, but that only lasted like a minute. Yeah. I mean, there is that. They were going to have bake sales and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) There is that third storyline about like Rogue being jealous of Iceman and Shadow Cat Kitty Pride relationship. (laughs) Yes, that's true. That that did feel felt a little extra. It was like, all know. right, how much can we get into one movie? Yeah. It's like this movie is like a Netflix miniseries condensed into 104 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was like the third arc or whatever. Whereas yeah. people's uh the lull. People's criticism of Netflix series is that they are their movies stretched out into <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> into like seven or eight episodes. So need to find a happy medium. Yeah. I think you're right there. You're hitting that. Just the main flaw of this movie in that there's there's just too much going on and too many characters. Yeah, there are a lot of new characters introduced into this movie. Yeah, like that whole like, uh, you know, the whole gang or whatever with the tattoos. I I can't I don't know who they were. I'm sure there's someone in the in the comics, right? Let's see. We had Callisto. Wait, that was Callisto? The one who can sense mutants. Like the the Morlocks? Yep. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she I I absolutely did not pick that up. In case you couldn't tell. We had Callisto, we had Arclight, we had Quill, we had whoever the girl with the purple hair was. We had Spike, the guy that was shooting spikes at Wolverine in the forest. <laughs> that one kind of grossed me out, to be yeah. honest. Like yeah. And that's like ma- that's like minor characters, like main characters. We had Shadow Cat, we had Angel, we had Beast, we had Leech, the little kid who neutralizes powers. We had Juggernaut allegedly, uh, <laughs> and we had Multiple Man. Man, who I was personally really annoyed by because I really like Multiple Man as a character, and he was very poorly served by this movie. We also had Colossus. We had Colossus, technically a returning character, and. And Iceman and Pyro and Mystique and Magneto and Cyclops for a hot second and (laughs) Storm and Wolverine and Professor X and all these just tons of characters you got to keep track of. Stan Lee. Stan Lee and Chris Claremont, who is the author author of the uh, Dark Phoenix saga and is I think it's probably not unfair to say that he is probably the person primarily responsible for the popularity of the X-Men was he took a book that basically no one cared about and made it into just a huge cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So Stanley has the cameo at the beginning where he's mowing the lawn and Chris Claremont is the person right before who's like watering his lawn or something. Wait, hold on. What'd you say? Cause, cause Stanley is watering the lawn, right? What did you I say that? I think you got it backwards. Uh, it's very possible I got it backwards. That's requiring a level of commitment to this movie that I apparently did not to, want to give it. <laughs> apparently a level of commitment to you remembering what you said in the last 20 seconds that you're not willing to do. <laughs> it's just it's all one part. It's all of it's all of a piece. I mean, <laughs> speaking of the fact that 
the movie's trying to do too much. I think it was maybe even the 40 minute mark. I looked at, you know, how far I was into the movie and realized that I still didn't quite know what the conflict was. They were still setting up things. <laughs> For real? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of I like, got... yeah, here are the characters. Here's what they're doing. Here's sort of the start of the Dark Phoenix stuff. And like, they've introduced the cure, but we have no idea how these storylines are going to interact with each other. It was just oh. not clear where the entire movie was going. And you don't always need that. But there's just, yeah, I agree. There's so much going on, Doug, that it was kind From of my aimless. standpoint, though. It was like the way we're introducing the cure and stuff. We're, we're just introducing all of these various things very, very quickly because we got to cram in so much stuff and we don't have a lot of time to do it that we're not going to do the build up that you would have in a normal movie. But it's so much stuff that it still takes 40 minutes to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is I totally agree. So not only do you not have the normal ramp up, it's way faster. But <laughs> yeah. we've overstuffed it so much <laughs> that we still haven't gotten anywhere with it. Yep. Oh, dear. I think this movie is essentially the peak of that problem. Yeah, like, I'd agree This with is that. peak too much out of everything. Like, out of all the movies that, are, that we have yet to watch. Even. And it does it in, like, a tight hour and... 45 yeah, that's the surprising yeah. thing yeah <laughs> i mean just to jump way ahead here and spoiler alert i mean not really spoiler alert but if you're trying to be completely infinity war free like maybe stop listening for a minute here but like infinity wait, war wait, wait 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 hold on hold on do do charlie and paul need to stop at this point? uh i've gotten enough spoilers about that just from existing the last yeah i feel like i <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like there's enough exposure. It's like I'm more frustrated by not knowing at this point. <laughs> all, all I was going to say was that um, Infinity War has a huge cast of characters, some of whom are brand new to that movie. And maybe it's partly because they've taken, you know, nearly 20 movies to introduce on most <laughs> of the characters. So I don't know what a first time like a Marvel newbie would think of Infinity War if they would just spend the whole time going, I don't know what's happening. Maybe we should find someone like that and see. But uh, let's call Tony. But uh, (laughs) Infinity War to me feels like a movie, and admittedly it has extra time, but it feels to me like a movie that has all these characters but does a much better job of like balancing the needs of them and you know giving you little moments to care about them and stuff like that rather than like oh by the way there's a guy and now he's dead which was kind of the problem with Electra, and to some degree is the problem with some of the characters in this movie uh for me the best part of the movie was beast as far as introducing new characters right like beast was the way to do it you know you put him in a position of authority you give him some good makeup you put a good actor in there you make him actually say, oh, my stars and garters, which I actually cheered at because <laughs> that's a beast catchphrase. Yeah. And you can just allude to the stuff that has happened in the past where he has a connection to Professor X and the institution. Right. Right. They don't like they did. He has the moment where he's like, I can't believe I used to fit in this costume or this outfit or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought Kelsey Grammer was good. He actually had a chance to the beast actually had a chance to do some fighting later in the movie, too. Which I was yeah, glad that, about. I, I enjoyed that. That was that was fun. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with the fighting with Beast. Like it, it felt like the comics. Yeah, and I thought that uh, Shadow Cat was reasonably well done. Kitty Pride. Wait, so quickly, I'm not as familiar with the characters. Shadow Cat is Kitty Pride. What's yes? Okay. Oh. Her, her name is Catherine Pride. Ah. Her code name is Shadow Cat. Got it. Or Sprite, depending on how far back you go, but. You got to go pretty far back for that. Yeah, I appreciated Kitty Pride as a character. We don't get to see a lot from her. I mean, we get we see a little bit about the love triangle thing going on with her and Iceman and, you know, Rogue seeing that. But we don't get a Except lot. It's of... not really even a love triangle, right? No, it's not really. You're right. Like I watched that and I was like, wow, Rogue's pretty insecure. Well, this is reasonable. Yeah, but understandably so. No, no. She should have been a better person. Why didn't she react exactly the way that I reacted? No, nope, no good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to be Charlie. <laughs> so, Paul, tell us about the juggernaut. The juggernaut meme, you mean? Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, you can tell us about the juggernaut, the character. If you really <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I, I don't know how much I can tell you about the character. Yeah, yeah. Come on, tell us about the what is it? The crimson gem of Sidorak or something? Something like that. It's partly I, why he's evil. Yeah. Don't like. Don't forget to uh, mention the part where he's Professor X's half brother. Oh yeah, right. Really? There's, yes. Really? Yeah. Hmm. There is actually like a few comics where he tries to be a good guy. And he essentially ends up losing his powers because his powers are fueled by evil. But no, Mimas, baby. <laughs> so my my personal experience was just watching this video in groups, you know, circa 2005, 2006, probably in this overdub of the X-Men animated series um, called the I'm the Juggernaut Bitch. Um, <laughs> feels weird to talk seriously about this, but um, <laughs> what I didn't know about it until very recently was that it was originally on some site called My Way Entertainment, um, by, created by Randy Hayes and Xavier Nazario. But, you know, my, my I, it mostly circulated in the earlier days of YouTube, where the iconic I'm the Juggernaut Bitch line was coined. It was kind of in the vein of like, I don't know if any, if any of you guys have seen those G.I. Joe PSAs that were really big for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, hey, that. I'm a computer. Stop all the downloads. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, but it was it was kind of riding off of that uh, wave, I think, which apparently those G.I. Joe PSAs were made and circulated around E-Bombs World sometime around uh, starting in like 2004, 2003. That sounds that. But yeah, I don't know if have you guys all seen this video? I've never. It's been a while. It's uh I don't know that I've ever seen it, no. It's been a very long time since I have seen it. So I don't want to I don't want to speak too much on it or endorse it in any way. But uh <laughs> What? <laughs> what are we getting into here? Oh, I don't know. I just <laughs> You know, I just, I just don't want to like be like, yeah, you gotta check out this funny video from 2005. It's <laughs> super racist. <laughs> yeah, like, there's nothing in it that will be offensive at all. <laughs> you know, <Aww>. <laughs> I remember thinking it was funny. Oh, don't keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link to it. It'll say it's Paul's favorite video. And then that becomes like the Charles meme. Charles, no! That kind of thing. <laughs> you ever heard anyone say that? <laughs> says Charles a lot. He says I'm the juggernaut bitch a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what have more to offer to this segment? You're going to have to really work around this. Yeah, click down the link, link and it's nine minutes Skype. long. Yeah, it's it's not just like a short clip. It's not. That's why I don't say it's a meme. It's like it's a video. It's, uh, it's, it's a movie. It's not a like a single unit. It's... It's a movie in meme ter- in meme time. Well, what if I just watch it at double speed? Then, Paul, what do you think about the character of Juggernaut as portrayed in this film? Uh, to be honest, this video was my main exposure to the character of Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually quite disappointed by <laughs> the portrayal. Just, <laughs> just you know, couldn't really match up to this Juggernaut. In the way that many of the characters were treated, they could only uh, portray them on the most shallow of levels. Not that, you know, I look for some sort of, you know, deep juggernaut treatment or anything. But, you know, they at least got, got that line in there. And yep. he got to crash through some walls. That was that, that was important, <laughs> the most important part. Actually, yeah, that was one, one of the parts I really enjoyed about the movie was the part with Juggernaut and Kitty Pride. I thought that was actually a pretty well thought out sequence. That I yeah. enjoy quite a bit because it's a little bit more contained than the rest of them where it's like, OK, here are the two characters we're talking about right now and how they're interacting instead of this gigantic battle with 50 different mutants at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the main problem with this movie, right? Is there's just not enough focus on the characters. Like there's no reason for me to care about any of the new characters, really. Yeah. I, in fact, I remember some of those characters just watching three of them get vaporized like in like a second you know and i'm like oh okay that's they 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 come and come and go easy come easy go i guess i don't know if you noticed me cheering when they died no did not notice (laughs) there was was no time in the movie to cheer it was like next scene when they got thanos yeah Yeah. right (laughs) 
There's a spoiler, sorry. Well, that's the only thing I know about the movie is that something disintegrates. I'm like, okay, yeah, that happens. <laughs> it's just like Marvel. And also, he did nothing wrong, I guess. Some people think he's right. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's all I know. Just Marvel Cinematic Universe ripping off what the Marvel Cinematic movies did ahead of time. <laughs> so what did you like, Charlie, about this movie? Uh, I like the stuff with Kitty Pride and Juggernaut. There was the fight sequence with Wolverine in the the woods, which I enjoyed. It kind of makes me understand why they made a standalone Wolverine film. You mean three standalone <laughs> yes. films? The first one and then the following two after that, yes. That part I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I know not not tons after that. It was just there was yeah, there's just so much packed in that it seemed really shallow for the most part. Yeah, shallow seems like a good word to describe this movie. So I, we were talking about the different storylines as well. There's a scene where Magneto and Professor X and Jean Grey slash Dark Phoenix are in the same room, and Xavier's trying to control her powers. And Magneto actually makes the connection between what Xavier's trying to do and the the cure plot that's also going at the same time. Like saying, okay, well, you're controlling your powers. You're sectioning off these pieces of her mind in the same way that, you know, this other stuff is going on here, which is obviously wrong. So how is what you're doing different? And that's brought up at that one instant of the movie and then never really brought it up again. I thought that was kind of an interesting philosophical point that... If they had explored a little bit more, it would have been interesting, but it was just kind of a one-off right there, like trying to connect the two things, you know, in any way they could. So you're mentioning the scene with Magneto and Professor X, right? Yeah, not, not the one with Wolverine and Professor X that happens earlier. Uh, it may already be, yeah, it may already be touched on at that point too. You're right. I think there are multiple scenes. Yeah. So yeah, you're right, Doug. I think that does happen earlier. So, so it's not like it comes out of nowhere. In no. The, the scene no. 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 But it is an interesting point that they talk about, and then the movie resolves itself without ever having explored it anymore. Like how how does the solution to the movie even address that? I think it just basically circumvents it shows that you point. That Professor X was right. So we should control. Yeah, because left to we her should own control devices, her. She kills dozens of people. Well. So Professor X did nothing wrong. The movie would have been much better if when she she tells Wolverine essentially stop me before I kill again, if he'd killed her then. So how is that different from taking away mutants powers in general to prevent them from hurting someone else the way that the humans are? Oh, it's context, I suppose. Not that. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. It's not that much different. Yeah. But the movie says that, like, taking away mutants powers is wrong, but taking away genes. Jean Grey's powers is correct. Well, and there's a huge power differential. How I mean, many people these mutants killed in this movie? I mean, yeah. They're bad people. They need to be stopped. <laughs> but is that the solution to this moral quandary? Is just to say, like, well, it's obvious in this case, which is correct. I'm pretty sure that's what the message of the movie is, Charlie. <laughs> Car just texted me, class five mutant exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. <laughs> Like, good point. I guess they did say that. <laughs> oh. Like, it's okay to be a class four, but draw the line at class five. <laughs> but you see how that's something that could be explored, and yet... But no, no, it can't I be mean, exp- I mean, no, it can't be explored. There's no time. There's Charlie. Yeah, okay, yes, that's true. <laughs> they would have gone it. over 104 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, Charlie. Don't you remember the beginning of the movie where Professor X is teaching the kids about ethics and stuff, and essentially they get distracted and had to do something else rather than actually addressing <laughs> the issues? You're right. It really really foreshadowed the whole movie. And, and then at the end of the movie, we see exactly where Professor X stood on that point. <laughs> Just getting right back to what he said to Wolverine. I don't have to explain myself to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's an allegory for the movie to the viewer. I don't have to explain myself to you, viewer. (laughs) All right. I like a comment like 25 (laughs) minutes ago. (laughs) Oh, oh, about. I don't know. You never got more than a word out before Charlie steamrolled you. Sorry. Yeah. What were what were we talking about? It was because, because uh, 
Oh yeah, because there's like a difference of preemptively mo- removing mutant, you know, powers versus you know removing a mutant's powers once they have a proven track record of mass violence. Okay, something like that. I don't know. So it's like a I can't remember the context of what, what that <laughs> was. Yeah, like one's pre-crime. <laughs> You know, like what what Professor X did with Jean Grey getting in her head or whatever. That was kind of, you know, a Tom Cruise situation right there. Right. She had just demonstrated she was dangerous, but not actually done anything wrong. Yeah. And he segmented off her mind. Yeah. Just by deciding that for by someone being themselves meant, you know, that they had too much power. Whereas these mutants who are in league with magneto have proven they're dangerous therefore it's okay to take away their powers yeah you could make that you could make the case for that i I mean i'm not saying should but it i guess if it came to you know that being the only weapon you had against some violent force you could make the case that it would be more justified in that situation because yeah they had the guns with the serum but did they fire them yet yeah (laughs) Magneto said they'll fire the first shot, or I can't remember the line he used, but they'll draw first blood. And did they do that? I can't remember, to be honest. uh, After Mystique killed the guard, then they shot Mystique. Yeah, which was after Magneto, like, crushed the convoy. Yeah, exactly. And killed all the police officers. He wasn't shooting at Mystique. He was shooting at Magneto, though. Okay, so Mystique, yeah. you know, takes the bullet for him, and he's like, "Boy, that was a really great thing you did for me. Thanks, but I'm so racist against humans that uh, you're garbage to me now." Yeah, that was oof. That was, I was quick, like, "Yeah, this movie is messed up, man. Like, there's a lot wrong with this movie, but that might be the pinnacle. Just a lot of shades of gray." Yeah, well, it's almost unbelievable. I don't yeah, think, like oh, you know, it seemed almost oh, out of character. Dozen, huh? yes, yes, like they wanted, like. You know, they obviously they, you know, Magneto is kind of more of a like sympathetic bad guy in this. But like that scene kind of it it does the job of like removing some of that sympathy. Like you immediately say, okay, he's kind of going he's definitely going too far with this. This isn't some, you know, same cause, different means. It's like, okay, Magneto's a maniac. Now it's more clear cut and we know who we can root for. And now we can have a mutant battle without having any moral quandary about it. (laughs) You know, and they just did it with that one scene. <laughs> yeah, also worth noting when the dudes are attacking Alcatraz, the humans weren't trying to kill the mutants, but the mutants were absolutely trying to kill the humans. I don't know, just felt uh, like the, okay, the yeah. evil mutants. I'm just were thinking about it, yeah. Really living up to their, their name there. I mean, I guess they didn't explicitly call themselves Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in this movie, but still. They did call themselves Brotherhood. Yeah, but. They didn't have the evil in the branding. Oh, that was part of the. So in the comic book, comic? It's, yeah, well, it's, it's, comic it's book. Stan Lee, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle he's Stan. A, he's got a lot of these to churn out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's easier just to know what they're about. <laughs> That's true. It does seem like kind of, uh, you know, when he when he, he's going into a meeting of a bunch of people and trying to recruit new followers you can kind of understand why they would drop the evil from the branding and so in general can we all then agree that i mean there's interesting moral and ethical things to talk about with this movie but the movie itself didn't really wrestle with them in a reasonable way they left it for the audience to discuss okay sure (laughs) (laughs) much like yeah they they didn't leave themselves any room to actually (laughs) explore those yeah or come to like a real conclusion. So, Paul, was there anything else about this movie that you enjoyed that we haven't talked about yet? Mm. Maybe product placement or something? Oh, yeah. So, what? Yeah, there was <laughs> some. Uh, was that PS3 product placement? I don't know. Or was know. that actually a PS2 game? It almost looked like a PS1 game. Yeah. Huh? Like maybe literally like the little portable, semi portable PS1. Oh, uh, like with the uh, with the screen? Yeah. Oh, well, because what game? What game did we figure that was? It was Pitfall. Oh, well, that we is a PlayStation Two the, game. So we figured it out from the credits because they had uh, Call of Duty and Pitfall. 
Uh, looking at the Pitfall 3D <coughs> screenshots, it looks like it was actually probably Pitfall, the PS2 one. Oh, okay. Because these, these Pitfall 3D ones look kind of like an isometric perspective. Not like a Crash Bandicoot. Like a Diablo style, yeah. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, that still leads the question of who's playing a PlayStation 2 in a car. But Kids. I mean, Kids who's got to have a good uh, yeah. shock absorption uh yeah, no kidding. System. One of those like converter boxes from cigarette lighter to 120 know. volt AC or whatever. Was there one built into like, you know, a, the 2006 Chrysler Town and Country or something? Yeah, I question <laughs> whether or not that was an option because it, it was, probably was. It was probably more of a car ad than anything. PlayStation <laughs> 2 built in. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad we're covering the important stuff. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of photos of like people like modding their cars. Hmm. So like converting like the LCD like front panel for like the radio or whatever into a screen, and then it looks like the the machine itself is in the glove box. Yeah, I'm seeing a product that looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's not just like a personal mod thing. It's like an actual, like, you can, this is made to be an overhead PS2 system. Mm. It's like, it's basically a PS2 Slim, like, built into, yeah, made to be an overhead thing. It's got like a 10-inch screen. Okay. Which, actually, that this could be, it's a very similar kind of situation, because one thing you notice with the PS2, it's like, that was in the, you know, that was still in the CRT four to three ratio. Mm-hmm. But this screen in this system, and I think in the movie, looked like it was more of a, a sixteen to nine ratio, maybe sixteen to ten. But... <laughs> Go back and count the pixels. <laughs> I mean, it look, looks like the standard whatever now, probably sixteen to nine. <laughs> the only reason I say to ten is like because that was around the time when that ratio was sort of floating around. Mm. All right, so it's justifiable. Ten out of ten for the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> comes with wow. Yeah, yeah. They're showing like Hot Shots Golf Three advertised with this thing. <laughs> How do I buy it? <laughs> <laughs> like this is advertised on Advent Products website. Like it's a thing I can get. <laughs> Did anyone else have anything they wanted to say related to that? No, just in general. <laughs> oh, in general. Um. Any points before you shit on the movie? Uh, <laughs> how about special effects? They were fine. Uh, there were a couple scenes where you'd have just a few people, you know, side by side, maybe staggered, whatever, taking up the complete foreground, and you would just have like a background behind them, and it looked very much like it was not. Like it was just a green screen and they they just added a background later. And that just gave me some super weird flashbacks to Justice League. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge scene especially felt very much like they were just in front of a green screen. Just just mad in a nice sunny, sunny background in post. My favorite part about that whole sequence is how the cure plot line completely plays out and then they get to the Dark Phoenix plot line. Like they couldn't like Mix them together in any way. <laughs> Jean Grey just stands around for the entire thing. Right. Until they uh, defeat Magneto. So it's I like, thought, oh, here's a really clear example of you're not linking your plots together. I did think that overall, though, the CGI and the practical effects for this movie were better than almost any of the movies we've seen so far. And it makes sense because it's farther in the future than any of the movies we've seen so far, but it's it's quite a bit better than even something like Fantastic Four, where there were things to like there and a lot of things to dislike here. You know, notwithstanding what Doug said about the, you know, green screen backgrounds. <laughs> a lot of the other stuff, like the water effects with the um, Jean Grey scenes, I thought were actually pretty good with the water flowing upward, throwing like the CG stuff with them throwing the cars and then um, them getting lit on fire. I, I thought all of that stuff worked pretty well. Yeah. When the Jean Grey drops the house, those special effects are dang near perfect. Yeah. I mean, even now, this is 12 years later. Yeah. You look at it and you're, you just simply say to yourself, yeah, I imagine that's what a house would look like when you dropped it from 20 feet up. And you also see the credits roll and then a good minute of visual effects 
credits. <laughs> so you're like, okay, well, yeah. They put some money into it. That was like definitely my main impression where I was like, okay, are we at the point in the March now where it's just going to be like, yeah, the special effects are up to modern standards. Cause that's really what I felt like with this movie. They were pretty much there, but maybe I haven't watched, you know, a modern movie in a long time. So ultimately, what did you think of X-Men the last stand? Would you stand with it in its attempt to kill all humans? I think that's what happened. I kind of zoned out a bit. Or would you be united against it to kill all mutants? <laughs> I guess. That was that was definitely the two choices the movie presented to us. <laughs> I guess my question is, how many copies of Multiple Man would you give this movie? Ooh. We didn't actually talk about that much. But again, I'm annoyed that they misused him because he's one of my favorite characters. Not normally a villain either, so that was a little weird. But whatever. Anyway, back well, to the rating. Yeah, and they made him kind of like they made him like give like that glance at uh, Mystique there too. Yeah. They, so they they made him all kinds of scummy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did start out as a villain, though. I would like to point out in a Fantastic Four comic, which you have. You can go read it now if you don't believe me. Well, I don't want to ruin the memory. <laughs> I'm just saying the dude started out as a villain. It's not that much of a stretch to have him be a villain in the movie. Just waiting for my X-Men Origins Madrox spin-off movie. I guess for me the problem with this movie is that there's just there's too much plot and not enough character. Like there's so much story that they're trying to cram in. And they don't do a great job of linking all the story bits together in any meaningful way. And they introduced a whole bunch of new characters that I don't know that I'm necessarily supposed to care about. Like, I felt like a couple of the characters are pretty well done, like Beast, like I said. Um, the action sequences, I think, are pretty well done. You know, it, it moves at a reasonable pace. So it just doesn't quite connect. Like, doesn't really, like, click all together that well for me, though. So I think I'm going to give this six copies of Multiple Man out of ten possible copies. So yeah, I think you actually have kind of you've kind of summed up a lot of my thoughts. There's, I honestly didn't think any of it was particularly bad. There was a lot that wasn't kind of tied together well. the The action scenes were were enjoyable. You know, I think I I think I'm also gonna go with six copies of Multiple Man out of uh, ten, just because. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It, Actually, I didn't look at my previous scores, but I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Normally, I would calibrate it against my future or my past and future self, but uh, so for you, this is kind of like Blade Trinity or Howard. Yeah. I would, I, I guess that actually is pretty accurate. Then okay. I would say I enjoyed it about as much as as Blade Trinity. Doug, uh, thinking five and a half. So like the 1990 Captain America. Yeah, like honestly, it kind of feels a lot like the blade the kind of ground that blade trinity treads with the main difference being that i much 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 preferred the performances in this movie i didn't feel like the problems with this movie x-men the last stand really had to do with the performances it was all just plotting and some scripting that said this i mean i guess there's going to be competition down the road but it's it's at least in the running for worst x-men movie so is your half of a multiple man like a top half or a bottom half or it's it's one of the uh it's it's more like one of the multiple man clones that you know goes off and lives his own life rather than just (laughs) i mean like we we saw here you know like here's 40 multiple men and then they all just condense down into one that half one is he's not part of that group he's just off there you know, in like Missouri, living his own life as a as a reverend or something. Has like a wife and kids or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doug, Doug is actually referring to a genuine multiple man storyline here, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh, yes. Part of why I just enjoy multiple man as a character. Oh, huh. Partic- particularly when Peter David is writing him. <laughs> 
partly why I just enjoy being on this podcast, because I can drop a completely absurd comic book storylines on you, and friggin' normies like Charlie is just like, oh, that's just really crazy, and I'm like, dude, I'm not that original. <laughs> uh, you gonna, you gonna I take wish. that, Charlie? I wish. I'm calling you a normie. I- I'm okay with that. I think that's fair. I'm starting to think <laughs> that Normie is a compliment at this point. <laughs> what you, it is a compliment. What are you talking about? <laughs> Didn't realize that fans of Norm from Cheers were was something to aspire to. <laughs> All right. So we've got, as we've said many times, there's too much stuff going on. There are, the characters are giving, given pretty much nothing to do. I mean... They touch on themes that are kind of interesting, but never really go anywhere with it. Um, I'm going to have to give this a 4.5 multiple mans out of 10. Yeah, I liked it better than Daredevil, but not better than Daredevil director's cut. (laughs) I I mean, we're getting a little bit more where all of the the effects and graphics are getting a lot more like what we'd expect, but everything was very generic here, too. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I also want to mention that the after credit scene was complete junk. No good. <laughs> Wait, why was it complete junk? I didn't have any idea what it meant. Okay, Professor X isn't dead. What? Why isn't he dead? Yeah. Why? What is this leading up to? Okay, he's not. Charlie, like I didn't see it. What did you did you watch the beginning of the movie where he he's teaching the kids about the the person who's you know here's a dude who's basically all healthy except he has no consciousness he's got no higher brain function oh now, so that's we, what we were we meant to a, could we take a guy who's you know got a family and dying of terminal cancer and move his consciousness into the dude's head and would that be ethical okay do you know that's that that's what that they connection. were talking about because that factors into the comics or did you pick that up strictly from the film I picked it up from strictly the from the film really? on wow. this viewing because I knew that that was what the after credit sequence was. <laughs> okay. So I was keyed in <laughs> for that earlier scene to be like, oh, here's the setup. I would like to point out oh. that I keyed into it on the first theatrical viewing. So this okay. is just an example of Charlie sucking at movies. No, well, I didn't is, get okay. it either. You guys are exceptional. <laughs> There was how how are we supposed to know what's important in this movie? Tell me how we okay. suss that both out. Scenes which which moral, foreshadowing matters and which is just another plot line that we're not going to follow up on. Had Maura McTaggart, who's wow, very right. important in the comics. Very bitter, Paul. Here, well, <laughs> and also yeah. both scenes have it, no it, other just purpose. Criticize- right for having too much in it and then you criticize the viewer for not picking up on one of those many details in these many lines <laughs> yeah it's what's not here? consistent i don't i don't no, see, no, I don't see any it is consistent here. there's criticism all around 360 <laughs> you need to be better at watching bad movies <laughs> <laughs> all right well, that about wraps it up for this edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. Thanks for listening to us talk about X-Men, The Last Stand. Join us for our next Merry Marvel Movie March, n- number 23, when we talk about the February 2007 release, Ghost Rider, which oh, we may not get to for a while because I refuse to do this without Tony. <laughs> so We'll make it happen. Time to put the pressure Good. on. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Waltz, and a special thanks to our two um, guests. I guess I was trying to tie it in with the movie, and they're not, the, they're not our last Extended guests. Extraneous cast members. Yes, <laughs> our, our two totally non-extraneous guests, uh, Doug Gobeski. <laughs> thanks for having me, and Paul Wilcox. I had a fantastic time. <laughs> That's the thing now for these. <laughs> yep. Get the word fantastic. In <laughs> well, it makes it easier for me. I don't have to think of something every time. I guess. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website, GobeskiWallsReport.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. Just follow us at GWReport. And we're on the Facebook as well, just like our page, the Gobeski Wallace Report. I kind of forgot what was happening. 
It's always so hard with the Twitter with like the at. Like you don't have to say at, do you? I don't know. That's a question for the listeners to decide. Oh man, we didn't even mention about how Cyclops dies right away so that he can go star in Superman Returns. Oh, is that why? <laughs> that is part of it, yeah. Oh. Scheduling yeah, conflicts. Had to go get cucked by uh, Superman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's staying in. Delete this. I don't know if you're allowed to use that term non-ironically. <laughs> 